This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Fifteen different occasions in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so every one of us in this room, we have ears. But he specifically said, let him have ears to hear. So purpose in your heart this morning to hear the word of God, but make that a habit of yours on a daily basis. And a, and a great passage of scripture to remember. Uh, this is a, a scripture that I speak over myself over a daily basis. Uh, James 1.19 says, be swift to hear and slow to speak. Be swift to hear and slow to speak. How many of you have ever heard this about, especially a young guy? That boy's mouth's going to get him in trouble. Have you ever heard that? Or maybe someone said that directly to you. But I've never heard someone say, that boy's ears are going to get him in trouble. So again, we need to learn to be swift to hear the word of God and allow the word of God to come on the inside of us. And so we begin this morning in Matthew chapter 4. Verse number 1, then the Lord Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, your convictions are only as strong if they hold up under pressure and temptation. In other words, when you're being tempted by things, what happens with every one of us if we find out what's really on the inside of us? We find out what we really believe in. There's, there's some nuggets in that verse. If you'll notice, it said who the tempter was. It didn't say Father God was the tempter. It said Satan was the tempter. Verse 2. And when Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now that's interesting right there, just that statement. If our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ needed to fast at times, what about us? It just shows you the significance of the fast. Verse 3. Now, when the tempter came to Jesus, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now, watch real close how the Lord Jesus fights off the temptation or responds to what the devil said. But he answered and said, It is written. It is written. One of our great weapons as a believer is the Word of God. And that's why it's very important and it's significant in my life when I begin to get a hold of the Word of God. It is written. And what the Lord Jesus does very next, he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3 and it says this. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So he gives me a new insight. We need to get the Word of God in us. As bread is fuel to the physical body, the Word of God is food to the spirit man. There was a great evangelist years ago named Smith Wigglesworth, and Smith said this, that we feed our natural man three hot meals a day, but we feed our spirit man one cold snack a week. i got to get a place in my life where I begin to feed my, my spirit, myself, my heart with the Word of God. And, and this is powerful, okay? The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 6, 17, he said, The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And so it becomes a weapon, the Word of God. That's why I got to get where I know what it says and I live by it. Now, we go back to Psalm 23. 
if you'll turn there. And as you're turning to Psalm 23, I'm just going to highlight a little bit of the first week we taught about it last week. You can hear that on the podcast. But in that passage, uh, it, it references the Lord as our shepherd, and we're sheep. And as a sheep, I, I need the Lord. I need a shepherd. I need a guide. And specifically in John 10, verse 27, it says, The sheep hear his voice, and the sheep follow him. So it, it is significant for me to hear him, to listen to him, but to follow him also means to obey him. So again, I just don't want to hear the Word of God. I want, to, I want to obey the Word of God. I want to do the Word of God. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me by the still waters. He restores my soul. Now, this is where we ended last week after verse 2. So we go to verse 3, and he says... He restores my soul. He refreshes my soul. Now, just for a minute, I want you to think about the word restore. Because if we were to use the word restore to a car, we would think about taking it back to its original form. And so many times in our lives as sheep, we begin to wander from the things of God. We begin to stray from the things of God. But God says right here, He wants to restore us. He wants to take us back to a relationship with Him. He wants us to get where we the sheep, we like hanging around the shepherd. We like being with Him. Now, um, in saying that, go with me to the book of Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter number 1, and you say, where is Ruth at? That's right before the Samuels. If you get to 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, the Kings, the Chronicles, you've gone just a little too far Ruth is only four chapters. But in this passage here, I begin to find some incredible things about how the Lord wants to restore things to us. Things that may have been stolen from us. Uh, oftentimes we go through a thing called life where there's hurt and pain. God wants to restore us back to our original place. The book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled... That there was famine in the land. It, it was a time of spiritual confusion and great compromise. Now, part of the issue right here is why there was famine in the land. Was the people became their own authority. In other words, they lived by their own opinion. They lived by their own convictions. And they lived by whatever their eyes saw. They thought, you know what? It's okay. Now, anytime we take God out of the equation of our lives and we as human beings think we can live however we want, we're going to get in trouble. There's going to become darkness. And, you know, there's a move even in our society right now, even in America, where it's like, yeah, God has some thoughts and ideas, but humans have some thoughts and ideas too. One of the reasons I love to go to the Word of God on a weekly basis Number one is where you see what God says, but understand this too. I, I personally believe this is the only authority and the final authority, okay? You may disagree with that, but this is my heart, all right? In other words, if you were to ask me a question about such and such and such, I would say, 
What does the Bible say? What does the Word of God say? And the Word of God is the blueprint for every one of our lives. So it's a very, very dark time where they're living. It goes on to say, And there was a certain man of Bethlehem of Judah who went out to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So just briefly here, i got to give you a little quick history lesson of Moab. For a person to move from Bethlehem to Moab, that wouldn't be viewed as pro, uh, a progression. That would be viewed as regression. And for a person to move from Moab to Bethlehem, that would be a progress. They'd say, well, yeah, that's great. So if you were to study how the nation of Moab came into existence, in the book of Genesis chapter 18 and 19, they were having issues in a region called Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and God warned them there, I'm going to destroy this place because they don't honor me, they don't live for me. So God ultimately destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, and there was only three people of that region survived, his nephew named Lot and his two daughters. Now, through a bizarre twist, Lot impregnates his two daughters. And the oldest daughter has a son, and she names him Moab. So you can see how the nation of, uh, nation of Moab got started. It was twisted. Actually, for your own reference, if you want to study some more about them, that's in Numbers 25. It gives you great insight. So, this family here... From Bethlehem, they moved to Moab. Verse 2. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and they remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. So she hasn't lived in Moab very long. And all of a sudden, she tastes incredible tragedy heartbreaking stuff, that her husband dies. Verse 4. Now the two sons took wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malan and Kilian also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Now just think about this. In a matter of ten years, her husband dies and her two boys die. And this woman, just like me and you, she becomes brokenhearted. And the brokenheartedness in her life leads to her becoming bitter and even depressed uh, uh, and, and stressed out and broken. And she's in a bad state in her life. So she tells her two daughters-in-law, I'm going back to Bethlehem. I'm leaving Moab. The one named Orpah, she says, I'm going to stay. But the one named Ruth said, I'm going with you. I'm with you. I'm committed with you. So we pick up the same chapter, verse number 19. Now the two of them, Naomi and Ruth, they went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all of the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, do not call me Naomi. The word Naomi means pleasant. Do not call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. 
So she says, don't anymore call me pleasant, call me bitter. So you begin to see her whole identity has changed. And she reveals her spiritual condition right here. She's in bad shape, guys. She is broken, but she is full of bitterness. When you see bitter people, man, you don't want to do life with bitter people. Bitter people make other people bitter. Now, I want to read just a passage here from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Listen to what this says about bitterness. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest anyone, the root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Many become contaminated. So when I allow bitterness to come up into my heart, it leads to trouble. And it leads to me defying myself. Listen to the last part of verse number 20. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. So she goes on here to complain. God's the cause of all this. And that's human nature a lot of times. We like to blame God when in reality, many times it's our choices or the very sin that we choose to live in. And so when you look at bitterness here, Again, I can hold on to bitterness my whole life, and it's going to bring trouble. It's going to cause you to become defiled. And the Bible's very clear that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's Proverbs 23, 7. I need to change a heart. And so many times in our life, when we've got bitterness in our life, we do and say things like this. If I could just move to another city, that would change the bitterness. Well, you can move to Bethlehem. But you can still have Moab in your heart. Well, if I could just get a different job. Well, you can get a different job. You can move to Bethlehem, but you can still have Moab in your heart, even in the area of a job. Well, I need a new wife. I need a new husband. Again, we need to change a heart. And you may ask, okay, how does bitterness get into a person? I believe bitterness starts with unforgiveness. When someone wrongs me as a human being, I can either forgive them, but if I hold on to that unforgiveness, before long, that unforgiveness begins to take deep root in my heart, and it becomes bitterness, a totally different form of unforgiveness. How many of you have ever been around a person, when they open their mouth, they spew with bitterness? I've witnessed it. That's why Mark eleven twenty five says this, if you don't forgive other people, God said, I can't forgive you. Be swift to repent and don't be easily offended. You know, years ago, this happened to me. I I had a woman here in the church who was diagnosed with cancer. And the cancer began to get bigger and bigger and bigger. She had a tumor in her stomach the size of a volleyball. So she calls one day and and ask if I can come up to the hospital and pray. And I said, absolutely, man. We're going we're to lay hands on you in the name of Jesus. So I'm on my way up there. And the Lord says to me. I hear this very clearly. He said, don't pray for her. He said, she has a root of bitterness in here in her. And he said, I've dealt with her for years. And she won't forgive. So I said, wow. So I, I go and I get on the, the elevator. And I remember clearly hearing the Lord say that again to me. So I go strolling into her room and she says, oh, pastor, I'm so glad you're here to pray for me. 
I'm thinking, oh, great, Lord. I looked at her and said, I'm not going to pray for you. I said, this is what the Lord told me. He said, until you repent and get that, that root of bitterness out of you, he can't heal you. And out of her mouth, she spews and she says, I'll never forgive him. I'll go to my grave before I forgive him. And it began to gush out of her. And many times, because things that have happened to us in our life, if we don't deal with this, this root of bitterness not only gets on the inside of us, but it gets to control us. And just like this woman, she begins to blame God. Verse 22, she says, I went out full of life, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi or Pleasant since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? See, this woman is in such a bad state right there that this has consumed her. Again, that can happen to us as people. And so what you begin to see here is this woman, she can't get set free. She's moved from Moab but she's still got Moab in her heart even though she's living in Bethlehem again. She needs a change of heart. So what begins to happen here? Let me paraphrase again a little bit more. They're in Bethlehem and this, this woman named Ruth who remember her husband died. She's experienced some hardship. She doesn't want a pity party. She doesn't want sympathy. She goes to a field and begins to do what it calls to glean. The word glean has to do with this. If you were to see a piece of property that was in a square shape, the harvesters would come in, but they would only uh, harvest the circle with inside that square. The outside corners were left for the poor to come and glean, for them to come and get food. So day by day, this woman named Ruth goes to this field and begins to glean and says, you know what, I'm going to do whatever it takes to take care of my mother-in-law. And again, when I read this, I looked and thought, this is a woman that wasn't too proud. This is a woman who said, you know what, there's a starting point for everything I do and i got to get with it. But you know what she doesn't realize? The field she's gleaning in is a man named Boaz. Boaz is a godly man, okay? I didn't say dumbass, I said Boaz. Some of you need to wake up, okay? Chapter 4, verse 13. Now watch what happens. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. He marries her. This guy named Boaz is a godly man. And when he went to her, the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, Remember, oh, oh, bitter herself, blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. And many translations where it says a close relative, it says a redeemer. Boaz is a type of Christ just for me and you. When we marry Jesus... He becomes our redeemer. And as a redeemer, that means he's repurchased us. So they say to old Naomi, no bitter. God wants to bless you. And the way God wants to bless you is through your bloodline. So here's what happens. 
This guy named Boaz has a son named Obed. Obed has a son named Jesse. Jesse has a son named King David. And right through these bloodlines, God begins to move. And no matter how dark your situation seems, don't think God can't move in your life. Trust God for grace. Trust God for strength today. Trust God for mercy. Verse 15. And may he be to you a restorer of life. May he be to you a refresher of life. To reestablish you. To repair you. To renovate you. To bring you back to the original condition. And may he be a nourisher, a sustainer of you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has borne him. And so understand this, no matter where you're at in life, Jesus is a redeemer. And God's still in the restoring business. No matter how hurt you are, no matter how old you are. But I play a part in this. God's desire is for me to respond back to him. You know, in uh, James 4, verse 8, it says, Draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. Come near to me. Hebrews eleven six 6 says that he is a rewarder, and a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so there's got to come a place in my life where I begin to seek God, and I begin to trust God. But many of us in this room today, we're full of unforgiveness, and some of you have walked in it for years that you've got bitterness in you. How do we get free from that? God, I've got to have your grace here today. I need your grace where you help me to forgive. You know, in Matthew 5, it says this. We're to bless those who curse us. We're to do good to those who wrong us. We're to pray for those who persecute us and despitefully use us. And I will tell you this, there's times in my life when I've read that, book, that, that chapter in Matthew 5, and I thought, I don't want to obey that. I would rather pray the Brutus prayer. And you know what that means? Father God, whack them at the knees. Get them. Get them. But I've come right here in this auditorium, and I've walked this right here, just like I'm doing. I do this all the time when I pray in here. And I said, Father God, I need you to grace me with Matthew 5. That if you said for me to pray for those who curse me, then I'm going to curse, I'm going to pray for them. And when I begin to pray that, it takes everything within me to say that, Lord, I I forgive them and I'll name them. I'll forgive them for what they did. And not only that, I ask you to forgive them. And the more I begin to pray that and more that I begin to walk that out, I begin to sense God's grace, His ability on the inside of me. And it begins to change my heart. And I will literally sense God soften my heart. And that's what he wants to do for every one of us. That's his desire. In order to restore us to the place where we're at, that's what he asks of us. That we repent of our sins, but we forgive those others. So here's a thought for you. The same way that I receive God's forgiveness... Is the same way I give forgiveness. That's powerful. And the reason I tell you about my own life. I'm human. I got a flesh. And there's times that I'm like. Oh God. This, this doesn't seem right. 
But yet he would never tell me in the word to do that if it was impossible. Turn to uh, Psalm 16. The 16th Psalm. And the goal today is to get out of verse 3 in Psalms 23. So you turn to Psalm 16. And it says in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me by the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. Now listen to some of the translations for the paths of righteousness. The Hebrew translation says, He leads me in the right paths. The message says, You send me in the right direction. How many of you would like to be sent in the right direction? And I want to get on God's path. I don't want on my path. And so when we talk about the word righteousness, many times we have trouble with that. The word righteousness means I'm in right standing with God. I don't get in right standing with God because of my abilities. I don't get in right standing with God just because I live a holy life. The way I become righteous is 2 Corinthians 5.21. I am the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. So when I get born again, I become righteous. When I get born into this earth as a human being, I have a sin nature. When I get born again as a Christian into the, the love of God, I become righteous just because Jesus qualified me. So it is very powerful for you to go around and say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am the right, I'm a brand new creation in him. I'm a partaker of his divine nature. But I am the righteousness of God in Christ because of what Jesus did for me. For that only reason. And so he says, I want to lead you in paths of righteousness. I want to put you on the right path. Psalm 16, verse 11. You will show me the path of life. Oh, Lord, I welcome that. In your presence... Is fullness of joy. Many times as human beings, we think our joy comes from the things we have or don't have. Woo, I'm going to have joy this weekend. You know what? I'm going to a big birthday party. Well, that's good for a day or two, but guess what? That birthday party comes and goes. Oh, I'm going to have joy because you know what? I'm going to get this or that in my life. But understand, when you get those things, they start going old. But he said right here, there is fullness of joy in the presence of the Lord. Man, it's healthy to get in the presence of the Lord. He goes on to say this, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, God promises life, God promises fulfillment, and God promises joy. Turn to, to Psalm chapter 32. Psalm 31. Verse 3. For you are my rock and my fortress. Father God, you're my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Woo, that's powerful. I look at this verse right here and I think, how many times in our life are we going through situations? How many times in our life that we've got some big decisions? we got to make. And you know what? We're, we're more apt to call our friend up on the phone. 
Or we think, you know what, this seems like the best way to go. But what would happen if we begin to leave, uh, live verse 3 and say, Lord, I ask you to lead me and guide me. And again, sheep weren't designed to lead. Sheep were designed to follow. So, Father God, I, I look to you today. One more passage this morning. Psalm chapter 32. Begin with me in verse 6. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you. What an invitation. God gives me and you the invitation to pray. In a time when you may be found, surely in a flood of great waters or trials, they shall not come near me. They shall not reach me. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Don't be like the horse or like the mule who have no understanding, who have no comprehension. Which must be harnessed with bit and bridle. The only way the horse and the mule obey is with a bit and a bridle. And he's telling us, don't be like them. He ends with that verse and says, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. But he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. So when you look at this right here, there's two types of people. One that defy the things of God and one to affirm the things of God. I want to be a firmer. I want to ask God into my heart. I want to ask God to move in my life. That he leads me in paths of righteousness. A challenge for you today. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on to your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. And he said, I'll order or direct your steps. You know what he asked of Just acknowledge him. Just come before God and say, Father God, I need you. I welcome you today. I ask you today, put me on paths of righteousness. See, many times in our life, when life really gets hard, we stray from the things of God. We run from the things of God instead of run to Him. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.